0: Visit RTI on the web at english.rti.org.tw.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's hashtag Taiwan, highlights and in the spotlight. But as always, we kick off today's episode with a brand new edition of Here in Taiwan. Well hi there, welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're joining us on our Facebook live stream, which has just begun as we speak, today is Wednesday, May the 5th. Otherwise, if you're joining us through the magical world of Shortwave, well hi there to you too. Today is Thursday, May 6th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me in the studio today, we've got Alison Chen and Leslie Liao coming up next we'll be telling you two tales of food delivery drivers in Taiwan one very good and one decidedly not so nice also we'll be telling you about the Taiwanese woman who's been named mother of the year and how Taiwan celebrated Star Wars Day all that coming up next please stick around Over the past few years, food delivery drivers have become a big part of daily life here in Taiwan. Unlike in many other parts of the world, uh, these are usually scooter drivers. Not, they're not coming in like pizza delivery guys in cars. No. Uh, they've got uh, sort of, I don't know, climate-controlled uh, boxes on that they carry all their orders in. And it's nice. You order with an app, you get your food. It's great. Um, it doesn't always go very well, though.
2: Uh no it does not actually but um you know it's it's so much more accessible in Taiwan, um because they say in the states the delivery fees it, the joke is like pay what like thirty U S dollars for a seven dollar meal
1: well the deliveries aren't cheap here I think the other thing is that like my hometown well mm-hmm. where I am yeah uh, where my parents live does not it's like right outside the range of when where anyone will deliver in Taiwan we're so well-connected and urbanized in most parts of the island, yeah I think yeah. that you're pretty likely to find something to eat. Yeah. Uh, anyway, these deliveries don't always go quite well, though. Yeah,
2: I got too... Well, I think they are kind of like these unsung heroes of society. They're bringing us hot meals. A necessary service. Yeah, a necessary service. And they're also braving a lot of... They're, they're taking on customer support. But not only that, but they're, they have to deal with the restaurants themselves, and they have mm-hmm. to deal with the customers that they serve.
1: And neither of them are very... I'm sure that there's lots of unpleasant people out there. They
2: can be unpleasant, Um, right?
1: Not to mention braving the elements that drive in all weather.
2: Um, Yeah, and like you said, most of them do do it in scooters. And when you think about it, like when you're not in the mood to go out, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to order food delivery. That's an actual person that has to respond to
1: your food. uh, Um, So tell us our two tales of food delivery. Do you want the
2: heartwarming tale first or do you want the not-so-heartwarming tale first? Let's
1: get to the gritty human story first. We'll save the heartwarming for later. Okay,
2: we'll save the heartwarming for later. Anyway, um, so this comes to us from Taizong, which is in central Taiwan. And one person ordered food and they gave the food delivery driver um, instructions. They were just like, uh, please leave the meal outside of my house and uh, at a certain place, you're going to find a black plastic bag. Inside, there will be a thousand uh, New Taiwan dollars and then... Uh, please give me put the change back in the bag and then put the bag back in the place you found it. That sounds like
1: a sketchy transaction, a black plastic bag. Oh, it's
2: going to get sketchier right by the minute. He says, I'm not at home right now, and um, if you could do this, please and thank you. And the food delivery driver asked no questions. If you and I were the food delivery driver, we'd be like, what are we getting ourselves into?
1: Usually these drivers carry multiple orders at once. They're in a hurry. They're on time schedule, so just whatever. Yeah, You want it in a plastic bag, fine. Yeah. As long as you have the (laughs) cash.
2: As long as you have the cash, that's fine. Um, and then he was just saying, "Okay, I got the meal." And then he went in there, and then he followed the directions. Lo and behold, inside the black plastic bag is pay- is is, uh, is money, but it's play money. It's not actual money. It's not legal tender. that's awkward. Yeah.
1: I think most people, like, pay by card. But you can, in some services, will allow you to pay in cash. That's
2: right. And the audacity is someone, um... So
1: they've made the order, and they don't have the money. So what do you do?
2: Well, they they, they made the order, and they tried to pay with fake money. And they also asked for change. Let's not forget about how they asked (laughs) for change as well. Um, But the delivery driver was smart. He was just, like... (laughs) He was just... He picked it up. He's like, I knew it was fake right away. It, it it didn't even remotely resemble real money so he texted that <laughs> he texted back he's just like yo know, he's like this is fake money he's like I, it looks like fake money it feels like fake money do you want to just cancel your order and then the guy who ordered the food he was like really it's fake he's like oh i uh, i found that money on the on the ground and then uh, he's like That's i'll weird. cancel the order <laughs>
1: But what about the restaurant? They lose out now. They, and you've wasted the delivery guy's time too. Uh
2: not if you if, if the uh if the person who orders cancels, it's it's not the restaurant that loses out. I think there's gonna be some follow up with the customer. Either that he's gonna get like a strike against his oh, own Oh the account. Account might be banned. he might not be able to um he might not be able to use it anymore. Okay. But yeah, that's um that's what happened. That was the, the the story and the people online were going all over they mm. they were they were not happy they were pretty much triggered There was just like um, they were saying someone was telling him to call the police and someone was just like there's no way he couldn't have known he was scamming yeah. you were off the bat
1: but if you're carrying multiple orders and other people are waiting on their food you don't have time to call the police and file a report yeah you don't and... have
2: time um, and, and actually, one of the uh, the netizens identified where the, the, the fake money came from. He's like, that's from a magic set that I used to own. He's, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, he's just like people were just uh, on I the don't, side of this. A driver magic driver. set
1: money. That's not like high end security features. Like if you no, hold no. That up to a light. like
2: They don't have those uh, those tags. That everything okay. doesn't look right. Nothing looks right. So, yeah, that was the not-so-heartwarming story. Yeah. Though. So, and from
1: the darker side of the human condition, let's move over now to a story with a happier ending. Actually, yeah. this guy, I think, uh, deserves a medal of some he
2: kind. He definitely does. So, what happens was, John, like you said, these food delivery guys, they are often in a hurry because they are carrying many, many orders. Yeah. Right? So they need to get from one place to the other, and they actually get bonuses for good performance. So there's right. incentive to, do, to be very fast. Right.
1: People, and you can, you can leave a, um, a rating once you get your food as well. That's right. So like, were they prompt? Were they polite? And, and, and I, I often feel, although I shouldn't, I know, like when your order gets, they say it's going to be five minutes, and then that turns into 10 minutes, and then that turns into 15 minutes, because it can be traffic, it could be any number of reasons, but you just kind of roll your eyes and like, where's my food? Do
2: you frequent Do you frequent food delivery? I very very occasionally. Very occasionally, so do I. It's a very, it's an indulgent thing for me, but you wouldn't believe what happened. This is a very heartwarming story I saw, it and I I couldn't help but feel it in my jimmies. This would happen in Taoyuan, and um, one day an old lady she went out to go shopping, and she came back home, and her home is a very traditional apartment, so there's no elevator, and she had to go upstairs. Uh, she was very tired, so she was sitting on the stairwell of the first floor, and this food delivery guy came in, and he's just like he saw this lady, and uh, he was just like, "What?" He's like, "What?" Are you, it's like, "Are you okay?" She's just like, "Yeah, I um, I I'm I'm, I'm very tired." I can't go up the steps.
1: Yeah, it's weird. A lot of senior citizens, in any building that I've ever lived in, I've never lived in a building with an elevator in yeah. Taiwan, there always is someone who's like on the sixth floor, and it's like, you're mobility impaired. Yeah. Uh, this is not a great setup. It's not
2: a great setup. And she was just like, I'm so tired, I can't make it up the steps. And um, what happened was the food delivery driver, this is a uh, a labor of cooperation because the food delivery driver came in and he saw this old lady and he's just like, Are you okay? And she's like, No, I'm not. I need help up the stairs. So what happened was he called the police and then to help out and then while while the police was waiting, while he, they were running the police, he carried her and climbed her up a few stairs and then the police officer came and took over. It was like a relay race.
1: Wouldn't you call like I don't know, the police is that quite right, the right people to call in that case? Maybe an ambulance? In Taiwan, like like, para- because was she having, like, a, a heart attack or something? No, was she it- was
2: just very, very tired.
1: Yeah, but you still wonder, like, maybe someone, I mean, in Taiwan, our medical system's great. I mm. mean, she should probably, you're not going to be bankrupted by an emergency visit. Maybe she needs someone to check up and make sure she's not, you know, having something go on. Well, I
2: say old lady, but she was around 60
1: uh well, that's not that old. That's not that she old. She may just have difficulty moving. She
2: may have just been tired. Um, mm. and and uh, even at sixty, you you can't really really qualified for some of the help that. Uh,
1: Still, um, yeah. Anyway, well, that was a nice thing. Yeah, to do.
2: there um there are a lot of stories about food delivery people drivers. upstairs yeah. driving
1: in the pouring rain. Oh, there's some
2: great stories. I mean, they're heartwarming stories. There's also stories about. The kind of things that they need to put up with, and it's kind of a shame. I'm sure
1: any job where you have to deal with customers, any job where you're the middleman, you know. Yeah. The restaurants are ragging on you to hurry up and get out there. And you get the pressure from customers, both sides. and then. And you have to re- rush around, you know. It's probably not, it doesn't seem very safe a lot of the time.
2: Let's see what people are saying about food delivery service. Jendo Dolari says delivery to where I am, Seattle, is basically double the cost of the food by a $20 meal, $20 feed, and now it's $40. And it's crazy. Is kind of, Food is kind of cold, but I'm out in the boonies. But at the same time, right? Like,
1: yeah, that's still crazy. That's, I mean, it's not the delivery fees here are not at all expensive. They're forty ten and it's usually the bulk of it's on the food itself. Which yeah. eating out the places that I like to buy tend to be a bit uh, pricey. So. Uh,
2: Jason Stevens says hi, guys. Not usually with you on a Wednesday. Hope you're all well. Well, welcome to the Wednesdays, Jason. Welcome to Wacky Wackadoo Wednesdays.
1: If you want to call it that, call a
2: Wackadoo Wednesdays. Uh, Jendolari says sounds like a plan a seven year old would make I'm assuming it's oh the, the play uh, money the play yeah. money <laughs> so yeah that's uh, people are sharing share your stories with us hey, about food you reacted food
1: better than I would have I would have frozen like I can't believe someone would do that but the, ah, there you go
2: the, I, you know with the cynical when side you, of me is just like it might not the, be the first when time when you deal
1: with the general public though there's always gonna be that one guy yeah you know? there you go Alright, uh Mother's Day is coming up here in Taiwan pretty soon and we've already declared Taiwan's mother of the year. Who is it?
3: Yeah, um her name is Ling Liu Guiyuan, and he's in his seventy eight years old. Like it's like a grandmother of the year yeah. or something. <laughs> wow. Um she said like she won the mother of year of this year, but she said that even though she lived a hard life, um, but she still viewed her her children education as the most important thing hmm. who, that's who, why
1: who decides that she was the mo- who decided that she was the mother of the year what's the organization
3: like the government, the government of, of, yeah. of
1: Taichung city.
2: okay oh, well, that's government mandated
1: <laughs> That must be, if it's government you can probably dispute that you know
2: oh yeah huh? you might you, you might you might be able to go march up the city hall and make a case <laughs> <laughs> A whole a whole trial needs to, to under go underway because you're unhappy with the who, fact who that you evaluated
1: this these, these these candidates and who knew who, you know? Uh. <laughs> anyway, uh, go ahead, sorry.
3: Yeah. Like she said like she lived a heart hard life and she and her husband opened a bookstore and um her mother in law and father in law are in hospital, so that's why they live a hard life.
1: Her mother-in-law and father-in-law. She's seventy-eight. How old must they be?
3: Oh. Mm, it didn't mention. I, I guess it's around close to a hundred, probably.
1: Yeah. If not past that. Wow, super centenarians. Yeah. So, uh, who who tell us more about her? Who is she? Why why what qualities that make her worthy of the title Mother of the Year?
2: Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, to be to be fair she's owned a bookstore right and owning a book people own bookstores in this day and age with like the sure. amazon and the online read i think i but think she's that's 78 she man. probably
1: she must have owned it before the sort of publishing industry here i'm seeing 1967 okay yeah. 1967 yeah. and and so what has she done for her children or the wider community that make her that that earned her that title lots of people have hard lives lots of people own bookstores what makes her special
3: she cared about his children's education, and she forced them to reading.
1: Ah, the good old yeah. forced, them, <laughs> forced, forced them, them, to them to reading. Read. Well, she owns a bookstore. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah,
3: to have a habit of reading because sh- she thinks that um, even though she had a hard time, but she cannot. She have to give her children a good education. Mm. So that's why
2: she wanted. A very
1: Taiwanese <laughs> choice. Yeah. Let's see
2: Three children. I th- three I'm, kids? I'm, I'm saying she's, she's got three kids. Her, um, I think her, her, one of her in-laws or one of her parents is 96 years old is what I see. So- oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. With that- Oh, so there were twenty six yeah, um, mothers of the year, and one of them was ninety six years old. These are not mothers; these are grandmothers <laughs> or, or great
1: grandmothers in some cases. What I mean, I know that we have a low birth rate and all, but come on, you could have found someone who's a more recent mother. I mean,
2: to be fair, there's no Grandma's Day, right? There should mm. be. There should be a grandma. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to dispute that. I'm just saying, if you're going to give
1: an award to a lady of her age, she... I, that that doesn't make sense to me. They couldn't find anyone who's like. The I youngest
3: think is sixty. I think the longest is
1: sixty. That's wow, yeah. that's ridiculous. These are the
2: grandma awards. These are indeed the grandma because, awards.
1: Because, think about it how many how many people here are not having kids either because of financial reasons or what have you? We have a the world. I believe that was it the CIA that said in their fact book this this year that we have the world's lowest birth rate oh, of anywhere C- in the world. Did the CIA say that? Be, you would want it their fact book. They have an annual, um, and so you, you would think that they would want to highlight. I don't know, people who are having children, not people who had them 40 years ago. Yeah,
2: that's, that's, that, that in and of itself is <laughs> I kind is of don't understand what they're
1: going for here. Um, I wonder if anyone else in Taiwan has this award.
2: Uh, uh, I'm not sure, Taichung City, but um, Radhakrishna Pillai says, yeah, which agency selected her for this honor?
1: We were saying uh, Taichung
2: City government. It's
1: the second largest uh, city in, in Taiwan in second. terms of population. Yeah,
2: so that's what's going on. So
1: they had a lot of, I mean, a lot of... I suppose, mothers to choose from, but uh, that's weird. The youngest is 60. Uh, yeah, it's
2: Grandma's Day, right? I mean, John, are you, I mean, you, you can't go home this year. Um, are you doing anything special for Mother's Day, or do I not want to spoil anything?
1: Um, I hadn't thought about it, yeah, really. No. I just,
2: that's my bad.
1: I, I talk to my mom every week. It's okay. okay. There's nothing special. Um, yeah, that's a, I, 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 I don't understand this at all. Uh, I guess we better interview the Taichung city government and ask them what's up.
2: What's your criteria? What's your rubric for uh, for Mother of the Year?
1: Well, I think it's pretty well known by now. They've been doing it since the 1970s, I think. Uh, Every May the 4th is Star Wars Day. Because may the 4th be with you.
2: May the 4th be with thee.
1: Uh, I don't know if you guys did anything special uh, on Tuesday, which was May the 4th this year. Did you dress up as your favorite stormtrooper or... I did not. I should have. It didn't even hit me. a lot of people here did. Uh I saw pictures of it, uh, including people who I'm friends with. So I actually know know at least one person who was involved in this. John, you know so many
2: interesting people. Don't you know the Renaissance Fair people here in Taiwan too? the same people. They, oh. they
1: dressed up, They they this for the Star Wars Day, they ditched the Renaissance they stuff. They
2: encompass I mean, a whole lot of, they are partial to many time periods they're and space times. And they're good and...
1: at what they do. The costumes were exquisite. Anyway, uh, this year, to mark the Star Wars Day, I, I don't know if they rented it out or what they did, but they went to the uh, 89th floor of Taipei 101, the landmark Taipei skyscraper oh. that mm. dominates our skyline downtown. Uh, that's the observatory floor. And there were like a hundred of them. Dressed up as uh, stormtroopers, Jedi knights. Someone went as Han Solo, and these were not your average like Halloween type of costumes. These are the this is the work of true cosplayers. High end stuff. Yeah, no, no. It was uh, they could have been extras. Easily. I know.
0: I
2: know one guy in Kaohsiung is known for making artisan light artisan lightsabers like prop grade <laughs> quality.
1: I mean, yeah, no. These people really could. Uh, Lucasfilm, if they're hiring, definitely. Uh, uh, I don't know what they would use for a shooting location here, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, they definitely have all the extras they could need. Um, they've been doing this sort of Star Wars Day celebration at some place in Taiwan for a number of years now. Other mm. places around Taipei that they've been to in previous years include Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, which is kind of oh. an odd choice. Huh. I don't know it just doesn't fit somehow it's not very, a very well, you, futuristic of looking course place. you
2: know you knew uh Chiang kai-shek was very close to the Galactic Federation
1: John I don't think he I think he died before the first one even came out <laughs> anyway um they've also been let's see to Huashan 1914 creative Park which is a big open space that sounds about right uh centered along a, a group of historic buildings and the presidential office oh that's right I do think tying one tweeted or wrote on Facebook something. Is she Either a, last year or the year before. Is she a Star Wars nut? I think that she. I have a vague recollection of something coming from the presidential office. So yeah, that, that tracks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a to I going. think that the politicians should have gotten should have gotten extra points for dressing up. Oh, I, I think would so love to too. see. Uh, I can definitely imagine our tech our uh, tech guru minister doing it.
2: I think someone's she's someone... done a
1: fashion suit, you know, Audrey Tang. Oh, has she? Yeah, I can definitely imagine her going all out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She she would be into it. I don't know about the rest of them though.
2: I know uh President Tsangwan has been drawn in the shape in the style of Yoda before.
1: I don't get that. She doesn't talk like backwards or anything. <laughs> Maybe she's just Wise
2: or she's very wise. She's uh, stoic, she's like def- Yoda. She's not green. She's not green. She's not wrinkled. She's not living she in a swamp. She doesn't
1: wear robes. I, so that kind of is where the resemblance she ends. I think. Doesn't have
2: telekinetic powers, no. to my knowledge.
1: Um, but you know, among the hundred people, I think that the point of this article isn't just that they did it and it was cute and all that, and they had you know laser beam guns and lightsabers. Uh, if all that. that's not the point, then what um, is the point? Well, the point is that we are one of the only places this year that could do it because, of oh. course, we have got well not so much anymore we Uh. had (laughs) days without a domestic covid case we need one of those signs (laughs) oh it's back to zero again um (laughs) it's safe enough that they could do this sort of big public gathering with 100 people and at a prominent landmark yeah i I would be interested i didn't see anyone wearing masks in the photos i saw but i would be interested to see if they had star wars themed masks with them
2: uh i see one oh yeah actually no 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 actually i'm looking at these pictures right now one of those
1: star wars like bounty hunter costumes because they have like their faces covered anyway or the jawas that's the those desert people yeah
2: yeah, yeah. uh a lot of people work the mask into their costumes i like that wow
1: i like it a stormtrooper kind of looking mask not just that but there's like
2: a more artisan one like a darth maul he painted over it wow
1: that's cool. Artisanal, that's handmade masks, painted masks. Um, one of the fans there was a a French guy, thirty five year old Alexandre Caillou, and he was went as Han Solo and said that the fact that the government and Taiwan in general is so careful about COVID nineteen and have done it so well mean that we can have this kind of event and it's amazing. He said, "I'm French, and right now we can't even we can't even imagine having this kind of event." So yeah, I guess that's he, true. He's a
2: French living in Taiwan. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh uh, let's see. Oh, There's I guess of, uh, I guess Taipei 101 was 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 part I don't know, of this. Did they huh? rent
1: the place out, or did they just was it like one of those flash mob things? Well, Taipei
2: 101 people see, just
1: showed up and and just and just like, and hey, just, we're here. It's Star Wars Day, <laughs> we're taking over. We're we're, we're
2: just <laughs> accept it. Um, Taipei 101's uh, senior director and head of corporate branding. He gave comment. He said uh, he was very happy that Taiwan was still able to hold Star Wars Day despite the pandemic. He says Star Wars fans in Taiwan have become one of the few around the world that are able to hold the celebratory event, and Taipei One Hundred and One is very honored to be part of it. So, if you have someone official from the skyscraper,
1: I mean, they must have been they must have been notified beforehand. I guess. Can you
2: imagine getting that call? It's like, "Hello, Taipei One
1: Hundred and One events. <laughs> it's
2: like, "Yes, we would like to hold a Star sh- Wars day." A Star Wars day. It's like, oh.
1: I wonder if they had the Cantina band. Oh, that would have been amazing! Just playing the song and over, and over and over on Oh man, I'm glad we can do this. Uh, we don't really have any deserts that would could stand in for Star Wars or
2: I, uh... or like. Oh, we can we I don't think we could be tattooing. What about the jungle? There's a jungle one where the
1: uh... yeah, we're not Ewok people. We don't quite have that oh, yeah, kind not... of.
2: We don't have that aesthetic.
1: I don't know. We need to get George Lucas here or whoever's doing it these days, and like. Pitch somewhere. Taroko Gorge could be a good backdrop. Oh yeah!
2: Actually, my friend says uh, he when he went to Taroko Gorge, he's like, "I feel like I'm in Lord of the Rings." So let's get a uh, uh, Peter no. Jackson. Okay, no, here first. yeah,
1: yeah, we could steal that uh, title away from New Zealand. <laughs> oh yeah, huh? The new, the new Mordor, the new oh. New Zealand. <laughs> we don't want to
2: be Mordor. The new Middle Earth. Sorry.
1: Ah uh, yeah. Do we have any more comments? Yeah, let's
2: see what we have. We have a. Uh, oh, someone says maybe Wookie Planet Kashik. Oh,
1: Jendolari. No i'm not do sure i do just do we look the part D- we have mountains we definitely have those
2: i think we have the look down i mean we have all these pictures of people i we, we some guys in full-blown chewbacca but that's
1: the extras i mean uh a, uh a, a, a scouting a location for a star wars world
2: yeah that's for some guys wearing a boba fett costume with the helmet and he's got a mask on still
1: oh princess leia has a normal mask on it's not quite so interesting that's, but that's
2: not right yeah uh, let's see we have Debashish says good information about mother of the year and uh, Jen Dolores says I'm such a nerd you know what for that for what it's worth Jen I always had you more pegged as a Star Trek person not so much Star Wars people
1: can be versatile Leslie I, I, I always thought it was one of those polarizing <laughs> things be, right people it's can you know
2: Star Wars or Star Trek you know it's, it's one of those things
1: People are. Some people are Renaissance people. They do it all.
2: That's fair. That's fair.
1: <laughs> well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. Thanks to everyone who joined us on Facebook Live and left a comment. We love reading what you have to say. For now, I'm John Van Triest. I'm
3: Allison Chang.
1: And I'm Leslie Mayo. Don't go anywhere just yet. Up next, it's hashtag Taiwan. I forgot the name of the program for hey. a second. Um, highlights and in the spotlight.
2: Who's that, guys? Oh, <laughs> Welcome to hashtag taiwan i'm your host leslie liao thank you so much for joining me every week in this show we take a look at what's trending online in taiwan whether it's social media or maybe just a piece of news that internet users really like this week we're going to take a look at something that happens almost annually in taiwan i'm not talking about any kind of festival or holiday i'm talking about the world health assembly Now, it's almost become like an annual thing uh, when this happens. The World Health Assembly comes around, and Taiwan tries to get in. Taiwan's usually not invited, despite the fact that all of the other WAHO member states are. And why is that? Well, I'm going to cover that in this week's Hashtag Taiwan. And what's nice about this week is that there is a particular movement that started not by Taiwan, but by a group of international parliamentarians uh, to help Taiwan's efforts to get into the World Health Assembly. Anyway. That's coming up next here on Hashtag Taiwan, don't go away. It's that time of the year again. What am I talking about? Lunar New Year? Well, that just passed. Christmas? Not for another eight months, pal. Rainy season? Nope. Well, maybe, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the World Health Assembly. It's coming up. Every year, the World Health Organization's member states come together to make some big boy decisions. This year, the World Health Assembly is scheduled to take place virtually between May 24th and June 1st. Virtually, because, you know, pandemic. Taiwan is not part of the WHO because China, which sees Taiwan as part of its territory, won't allow it. However, Taiwan has attended the World Health Assembly before as an observer. Observer as in you only get to watch the decisions get made. That's it. Since President Tsai Ing-wen came into power though, China has once again begun boxing Taiwan out of international organizations. That's because China views President Tsai as a threat to the idea that Taiwan belongs to them. But Taiwan does make an active effort to get invited back into the WHA. Every year Taiwan asks its diplomatic allies to speak up and let them in. This year though, Taiwan's bid to join the WHA is getting a boost from social media. On April 27th, the Inter-Parliamentary Alliance on China, or IPAC, launched the hashtag LetTaiwanHelp campaign on Twitter. The IPAC is an international organization made up of lawmakers from various countries. Attached to the tweet is a video of 16 lawmakers from 11 countries and the EU urging the WHO to let Taiwan into the WHA next month. Considering that COVID-19 is under control in Taiwan, the lawmakers in the video basically were saying, yeah, maybe we should let one of the few countries that got this pandemic disease under control into an international health conference. What do you think? Is that a good idea? I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here, doing a little brainstorming, spitting out all the ideas in my head and thinking, hey, maybe we'll get a good idea. But I think that's a good idea. At the exact same time that IPAG published its tweet, the U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee also tweeted, the world can learn a lot from Taiwan. Hashtag, let Taiwan help by participating at the upcoming World Health Assembly. And I stress, at the exact same time, because that means this was a coordinated campaign between the two Twitter accounts. And if you want more proof that US Congress people are behind hashtag let Taiwan help, then just enter the hashtag into Twitter, and the vast majority of your results will be US representatives and senators speaking up for Taiwan. Support is also pouring in from lawmakers in Japan and Paraguay, and even from St. Vincent and the Grenadines' Prime Minister, Ralph Gonsalves. Okay, that's great and all, but what are the non-government homies saying about hashtag let Taiwan help? Aurora Chang shared a picture she drew of a Formosan black bear hugging a globe. I found this tweet which says, And we go live to Beijing for reaction, and it just shows a picture of a little girl crying on the ground. And Brian Hyo shared a picture of the giant container ship, the Ever Given, which blocked off the Suez Canal last month. Not sure what he means by that one. Is he using the Ever Given as a metaphor for how Taiwan's been barred from the WHA, Or is he saying that if the WHO doesn't let Taiwan into the WHA then we're gonna jam up another shipping canal? Now as far as hashtag Taiwan stories go, that's actually pretty good. I mean usually we're finding memes or trends that have originated in Taiwan, but it's nice to see that people outside of Taiwan are actually trying to help the country. Anyway, that's all the time we have this week, and instead of telling you to check out Taiwan Insider, this week I want to urge you to go online and use the hashtag LetTaiwanHelp. Use it as many times as you want, and when you do, tell them Leslie Liao sent you. Anyway, that's all the time we have this week. Until next week, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you again soon. Dennis Yan is a singer who rose to popularity with this single called Might As Well. Her songs have millions of views on YouTube, she's released two studio albums, and she's been named one of 10 Artists of the Year by KKBOX. But her breakout moment came when she won the popular singing competition Million Star. She makes it look easy, but recently I sat down with her to figure out what it was like to be a star in the age of social media. She tells us it's not as much about the music as you might think.
4: I entered the business because I liked music, yeah. you know, and my, my sole purpose was just to sing. Yeah. But then I feel like in order to have a place to perform, you've got to be known first, right? Mm-hmm. So there's so many things you got to do in order to be a singer. So like a lot of it is because I, I have a podcast. So you go like, oh, yeah. That's right. Right. So I interview a lot of uh, singers and YouTubers, influencers, whatnot. I spoke to a lot of newer singers and a lot of them off camera actually to set that they entered the business because they like to sing. right? Mm. And they thought being a singer would be like, you know, 90 percent singing, 10 percent interviews and publicity stuff. Not the case. It's 10 percent singing and 90 percent non-musical related
2: work. It's literally in your in your title you're a musician like, right how is that only 10 percent of your job
4: yeah you get to sing 10 percent of the time 90 percent of the time you're on variety shows mm-hmm. you're on talk shows you're filming for another brand or you're like you're, you're just doing anything else oh. everything else that's not singing
2: now we're inundated with all these like these TikToks, yeah. soundcloud youtube uh uh like these mute these musicians mm-hmm. um and i don't know if you have turned to any of those resources mm-hmm. or, but you still have like a traditional la- record label. Mm-hmm. So can you just comment about how, what's it, what's it like to see things change? Right.
4: Um, I think it's good. It's a good change. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I was doing the million star competition, uh, I felt like most of the Taiwanese or local audience, they're very used to the typical ge, mm. ballads, yeah. right? And that, that genre of music was like the only genre of music that people wanted to listen to. So most singers, regardless of their personal preference, they were packaged to only do ballad songs, Mm. unless you were like a rock band and you came out as a rock band.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight.
5: Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Now, um, I have in the studio with me Chen Wanlin, who is actually the head of documentary office and programmer for the Taiwan International Documentary Festival. And uh, this year, the TIDF, the short form of it, is taking place from April 30th to May 9th this year. This, in fact, is one of the major professional platforms for documentaries in all of Asia. Now, TIDF um, uh, was uh, started in 1998, so it's been 20-some years. And this year is the 12th year of holding this um, biannual festival. For this year, a total of 2,300 entries. And 44 of them are being screened uh, at the festival this year, who took part in three different competitions. There's actually a total of 140. Um, films being uh, screened uh, during this festival this year, which includes some non-competitive ones. But anyway, let's uh, meet Wanling first. Hi, Wanling. Hi, Shirley. Yes, nice to meet you, and thank you for making the time to come in. Thank you for inviting us. All right. So um, let's just start off by talking about the fact that I understand that um, the festival this year is mostly paying tribute to Hong Kong. In other words, Hong Kong's documentary films. So um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, we have an independent program uh, dedicated to
6: independent film from China and Hong Kong. It's one of the uh, programs that we have this year, uh, which we have around 12 in
5: total. And we select the Hong Kong film as an opening film this year. I yeah. see. Okay. Um, you wanna talk about that particular one? I know there actually actually is more than one uh films from Hong Kong to be screened, but you want to talk about one particular one maybe? Um yeah, maybe we'll just talk about Inside a Red Brick Wall, which is the opening film.
6: Um I think most people know that there's been some social movement in the past three, four or even longer years um in Hong Kong. And I think that film is the culmination of, of these movements in the past years. So for us, um, because the festival is postponed for a year. Uh we were we were to take place in, in May last year, but then um because of a pandemic, so we sort of postponed it to this year. And seeing a film like this in different year, in different backgrounds, sort of give us a um, sense of jet lag, meaning that it's an event that's happened recently, but you're looking at it with a totally different um, perspective. And for us, it's a record or a documentation of the event and of this era, of this time that we're living in.
5: So I think it's important. First to to remember those moments. So I'm sure there have been films from Hong Kong before. Yes. But I think this year, you know, we can pretty much understand why you're, um, you guys are contributing or rather uh, paying tribute um, to Hong Kong in this year's festival because of all the upheaval and the unrest that's been happening in Hong Kong for the last, you know, one or two years. Um, do you think that um Hong Kong is really going through more of the social unrest in comparison to in the past, or do you think that it 's been built up over the years for a while and we didn 't know and now it 's brought up to the surface and i don 't know um what 's your personal look at this I think it 's definitely a build up from uh, multiple events and multiple
6: um, aspects uh, that are all contributing to to um, the outbreak, let's put it that way. And I think because of the outbreak and the build-up, uh, which makes people in Hong Kong and in the world more aware of of
5: um, what's actually going on in the society in Hong Kong. Um, I'm assuming that some of these directors of these documentaries from Hong Kong were some unknown people, insignificant people. But this year, or rather, you know, these last few years. They've been bold enough to come out, right, and kind of get their voices be heard or even like, you know, uh, put what they saw put out to public. So I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, people who had never made documentaries or even films before. So they're like new upcoming directors from Um, Hong Kong, maybe? I think experienced and new,
6: I think both, because they, I think during the movement, they sort of realized you feel powerless As an individual and by coming together as a group as a community I think um, you feel more supportive and um, you can have more resources um, Mm. and you feel more powerful Mm. to to know and to to have backup to what you're doing because sometimes in, at the scene, you you are only yourself with the camera, mm. and you have no one. But then, if you know there's a whole group of people who's, who's holding the same idea, same belief as you do, then I think that's what pushes them forward to to um, record, to document, and uh, to spread to to tell these stories that are probably not told uh, in mainstream media.
5: Right, right. Now, do you want to talk about some of the competitions that you hold? Maybe those three um, particular ones uh, in the festival. Yeah, uh,
6: TIDF is a competitive festival. We have three major um, competition sections, which is Asian Vision, uh, Taiwan, and International. Hmm. Um, By emphasizing Asian Vision, because I guess more than a 1,000 festivals in the world, and so... What do we stand out as a festival in Taiwan or in Asia? And from what we see in the world, especially in Europe and North America, it's kind of hard for them to come by like um authentic um perspectives from Asia. mostly they're um stories that are portrayed by um that's called European or Western. Um, filmmakers. So we want to emphasize on that. We are from Asia. We have our own perspective. And Asia, the idea of Asia is actually massive from, mm. let's say, Russia, mm. from the Middle East, um, to all the way to, to what we know as Japan, Taiwan, Southeast Asia, all these countries. So it's broad idea which we want to um, show the spectrum and the cultural uh, history Um, in this area, Mm. this immense area. (laughs)
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is really great. So I'm sure that a lot of you know um, directors uh, they jump at this opportunity to bring out their production because it, we're focused on Asia, and that includes a lot of you know countries within this area. Whereas maybe if they were to attend even bigger international, which is like worldwide, um, they might not stand out. But um, I think this is really good that you guys focus on just Asia, and that it, that opens up a lot of opportunities for countries who generally. Don't hold this kind of festivals or competitions. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, I think for
6: us it's to to bring Asia to the world in a way because we have international networking um, and connections. So yeah, at all we see- called
5: Heart of Asia, right? Taiwan, <laughs>
6: Heart of Asia. <laughs> yeah, so they will so they will see this film, not just Taiwanese film, but also all the um, other Asian films that are um, less known. Um, it's a it's an opportunity for these um, Western or European or American festivals to see these films. So in a way, we're a window to Asia mm. for them and for our audience. It's also a great opportunity to explore this film because they honestly, it, these films are really hard to come by. Mm. So it's a huge platform for, for these filmmakers to have their films shown.
5: I mean, it benefits Taiwan too, right? Because yeah. we're trying so much to globalize ourselves that um, this is a way of letting Taiwan be seen. And also, but then we're opening a platform, welcoming all these people to, to use Taiwan as a platform um, to show their works, which then other people can appreciate. And uh, we get to promote ourselves too at the same time.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think because um, most people, a lot of Taiwanese filmmakers they didn't know how to get their films out of Taiwan. Mm. Um I guess they just don't have... not that they don't have the resources, but they um need a push mm. in a way. So in a way we're we're with that hand behind them
5: to push the their pushing way. hand. Yeah. The pushing <laughs> hand. <laughs> in oh. a good direction. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh that's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, can we talk about the directors um from you know, from all the different countries that are here. I'm sure there are those who are veteran directors who've Mm -hmm. always, you know, taken part. But then I'm sure there are some new ones, some upcoming Mm -hmm. ones, that some who's planning to make this into their career. From what you've seen of all these entries that came in, I guess I'm sure you got to view some and review some and have some feelings about certain directors' works. Um Is there any one particular one or one or two that stand up to you, whether it's Taiwan or Indonesian or China or whatever or japanese um i think I think I'll come back to the Asian vision competition that I just mentioned um a
6: lot of filmmakers that uh, we ha- there are fifteen titles in there, and I think for experienced filmmakers and newly come like upcoming um filmmakers they're more or less half and half. So in a way, you can see very good um, quality films in in this section. But what surprises me always throughout the years I've been working um, at TIDF is that there's always new ideas, new boundaries that are broken. Mm -hmm. Um, Again and again, it challenges your your, um, perspective on documentary filmmaking and what a documentary is. And I think that precisely fits our, our um, core spirit, which is re encounter reality, uh, 再见真实, mm-hmm. meaning that you bid a farewell to to the reality, to the truth that you know, but then you are brought to another level, another phase or another phases of, of this reality because reality have multiple phases. Um, so we're trying to, as a festival, widen the spectrum of, of this documentary filmmaking mm. industry. And, is that and the theme
5: for this year's festival?
6: Uh, it's, a, it's a spirit we, we hold throughout okay. the year. So it's oh, so, oh, okay. uh, one thing for, for this particular year. Yeah. But this is um, the idea
5: that we always have during our programming process. You as organizer don't put any limit on the, the entries that uh, that apply for the festival, that you don't put any boundaries so that people can really express, you know, use their creativity, innovation and and come up with anything. And that's how we can be able to experience things that are like, you know, oh, wow, I didn't know that it can be done that way, you know, or yeah, done this I think, way.
6: I think precisely that because
5: um, um, I'm quoting from someone
6: I admire a lot that as a festival, you have to always be ahead of the audience meaning that you need to show something that they've never thought about mm. um otherwise there's no excitement point, there's no point for a festival <laughs> yeah. to exist because nowadays it's easy for for the audience to to see documentaries on the internet um on Netflix on um television and all that um so for us we create uh, a liveness mm. meaning that you get to see this film and sort of interact with these filmmakers and seeing things that you've never thought about before and seeing things that are not
5: possible on the internet or, or any other channels. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. Well, the last thing, let's talk about some of the Taiwan films. Um, I think I'm aware of one that I saw a bit of it and I didn't realize that it was actually taking part in this year's festival is the one called A Decision. By Maso Chen, and um, uh, apparently was screened in Hong Kong. Um, it's about these patients on ventilators for lifetime, mm-hmm. and the doctor. The per, I think the person who was who made this documentary is a doctor himself, right? Oh
6: uh, no, he's a professional oh. filmmaker, but he's oh. really
5: close to to his the
6: product. doctor. Yeah, the doctor. One particular doctor. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting for this film that. Um, it's c- it comes from uh, several perspectives in the film. There's a there's a perspective from from the doctors, mm, mm, mm. like how they see these patients and and what are their decisions every day in treating these mm. um, patients, and mm. also the perspective from the patients uh, while they still have the ability to express their their wants and their needs mm. and their thoughts mm. so you see the dilemma and the struggle it's a daily hourly secondly struggle that they have both the patients and and the doctors and i think that's one of uh, the topics that we all face in our lives is which is you know coming to the end of life uh, whether yourself or your loved ones or your mm. friends um, so it's, it's definitely worth seeing.
5: Well, anyway, thank you so much, Wanli. It's really been wonderful talking to you. And I hope that uh, for those of you who are listening can really go take part in this festival. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Wanli. Thank you, Shirley. Sure right. Thank you.